0: Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter Uplift Desk, a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work. And that's just the beginning of what Uplift Desk has to offer. With an emphasis on ergonomics and customization, Uplift Desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals. Whether you're coding, designing, or podcasting, like I am right now, the flexibility To switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality. What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. Feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders, or having that notebook that says, passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. That's two free weeks at onepasswordcom com slash Productive Convo. Again, one com slash Productive Convo. Check out 1Password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's 1Password.com slash Productive Convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. I'm Mike Vardy crash plan is the superhero of cloud-based data protection specifically designed for people like us who live and breathe their digital creations crash plan ensures that every file every idea and every piece of hard work is safely backed up and protected with crash plan professional you get unlimited backup for your computers not servers or cloud apps, just pure essential data protection for PC, Mac, and Linux. This means your business plans, designs, music, and documents are continuously encrypted and updated in their secure cloud without you lifting a finger. Imagine this, your laptop takes a dive during a late night work session. With CrashPlan, it's not a disaster, it's just a minor hiccup. Their service runs quietly in the background, safeguarding every change you make, every 15 minutes. And if the worst happens, your files are just a few clicks away from being restored, with unlimited version retention acting as your personal time machine. For businesses, CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities are a game changer. Buy as many licenses as you need, manage them with ease, and let your team or your IT admin restore data seamlessly, saving precious time and resources. So go to crashplan.com slash timecrafting now to sign up for a free trial and take advantage of one of their limited buy one, get one offers for a productive conversation listeners. That's crashplan.com slash timecrafting. Back up better with Crash Plan. Have you ever looked into fasting and thought, I love the benefits, but I can't go days without eating? Well, that's where Prolon comes in, transforming the fasting experience with a plant-based nutrition program that tricks your cells into thinking they're fasting without actually having to stop eating. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I am your host, Mike Vardy. And this week on the show, I have Srinivas Rao, the author of Unmistakable, Why Only is Better Than Best. It's a bit of a mouthful, and the book is as insightful as you will get when it comes to you know, just figuring out how to be unmistakable and how to you know, make something and create something and build something that is unmistakably you. And Sereni and I have a great conversation. We're, we're friends. We've had the opportunity to see each other at several events. We're going to see each other again uh, if you're listening to this prior to the World Domination Summit, which is taking place in August in Portland. I will see him again there, because he'll be in Portland while I'm down there. Uh, You know, I'm hopefully going to be able to run into him uh, if he's in the area when I'm down in his neck of the woods in September. Uh, He lives down in uh, Southern California, and I'll be down there in the later part of September. But enough about what I'm doing with Srini after the show. You want to hear what we're doing on the show, so let's just get into it. Here is my conversation with the author of Unmistakable, Why Only is Better Than Best, Srinivas Rao here on the Productivityist
1: podcast. Enjoy. I'd like
0: to welcome Srinivas Rao to the Productivityist podcast. Srinivas, thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah, Mike, always good to be here. You're one of my favorite people to talk to. Uh, you know, somehow I always find myself drinking with you at any event. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we've got we've got World Domination Summit coming up uh, in, in the next few weeks, so that'll be another chance for us to hopefully uh, get to see each other. But I am holding on to your latest book, Unmistakable, Why, Why Only is Better Than Best. And, you know, I got to say, uh, you know, there are, there are very few books that are dog-eared in my library as much as this one is. And it's funny because I've got several where the pages back-to-back-to-back to back to back are dog-eared. So uh-huh. it's like a huge chunk of the top corner are are taken out. Um, you know, it's great to get a chance to chat with you. Uh, I want to talk about the book. And the first thing I want to dive into um, is the idea of, you know, I'm a Green Lantern fan. We've talked mm-hmm. about this. Um, one of the first things you bring up in the book is the idea of fear. Mm-hmm. and. And when one of the things that I got out of this book, as I read through it, and I talked to, I actually talked to other people about this, and wrote about the idea that that the idea of being unmistakable, especially for my Patreon supporters, they got to hear me talk about this in far deeper settings than than regular podcast uh, listeners. Was the idea that um, being afraid to to just dive into one particular component of my or, or to be unmistakable to do really great work was such a huge uh, revelation for me because. Uh, it's easy. It's easy to be shallow. It's easy to be, you know. One of the big things is is, is like covering apps. You and I have talked <laughs> about this before. The idea of just covering apps and being the app guy. Yep. Uh, to get out of that is such a huge uh, game changer for me. And it was the reason I'm read, reading about, you know, the idea of fear that was pulling me back towards that stuff. Why is fear and why is that voice so such a, a huge part of? of Pushing towards
1: unmistakability, like listening to that voice and paying attention to it? Great question. Um, You know, I think here's the thing, right? By definition, when you do something unmistakable, you're doing something that hasn't been tried before, that hasn't been proven to work, that hasn't, you know, been shown that, you know, hey, this person did it. They got the result that you're seeking to get. Uh, In fact, the entire sort of thesis is that this has never been done before. Um, And I think, you know, like, Real innovation, real creativity comes from doing things that have never been done before. But of course, when you attempt to do something that has never been done before, the voice of fear gets really, really loud because it's like, holy shit, everything will go possibly wrong. Um, This might not work. This might blow up in your face. But the thing is, you know, if you kind of look at it and flip it on its head, right? So on the other side of what we fear most often is the things that really will bring the most joy to our lives, the things that will bring the most meaning to our lives, the things that will basically expand our sense of possibility. So let me give you an example. So, you know, I wrote a business book. We planned a live event. Um, I don't know the first thing about planning live events. Uh, I am not an event planner. I don't, you know, never put on a conference, but we did it, you know, and we we had 60 people there, $1,300 a ticket, and it sold out in two weeks. But I can tell you, the morning that we put those applications out and we sent the email, I was terrified to check my email. I felt like I was going to throw up because I actually thought nobody was going to come. Um, and I have experienced that, that exact phenomenon of nobody coming. The second time we tried to do it, failed miserably. And so the thing is that, again, I, I think it really boils down to this idea that you're attempting to innovate. You're attempting to create something that's never been done before. And the only antidote to dealing with the fear is to actually do the work itself. It's the doing of the thing that makes the fear go away and quiets the voice because that voice suddenly says, wait a minute. I'm screaming and yelling and, and telling you to know and you're still doing it. Okay, clearly I'm going to lose this battle. Um, you've effectively told me to go to hell. So I think that and, – and, and you know, the thing is what we need to do in order to, to manage that is to train it in very small ways, right? Right. So it's, you know, I I talk about this idea of every small wave prepares you for a, a much bigger one because the book is all organized in surf metaphors. So, you know, like I didn't go from writing my first blog post to planning a live event the next week. I went from writing the first blog post to tons of shit things that I've created, hundreds of podcast episodes, things that people thought sucked to Okay, level up, level up, level up. Okay, now I'm going to really try for something really daring. And, you know, the consequences are that, you know, it all might blow up in my face. I'll be embarrassed. I'll be humiliated. And I think that if there is anything that is worth doing, those are going to be uh, on the flip side of the very good thing. It's inevitable. Like you have to realize that that possibility of failure, that possibility of being humiliated is going to come with anything in the territory of unmistakable.
0: You know, I I was looking at, as I went through the book, one of the things that, that struck me, you know, I mean, there's lots, again, I'm dog-eared this thing to death, is the idea of, uh, and I want to talk to you about time because that's going to be a critical component, but the idea of, of showing up consistently. Like, you talk about that throughout the book, the idea, especially mm-hmm. when you use the surfing metaphor, is just showing up, putting the work in. Um, you weren't, and most people seem to think, and 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 or at least the appearances there, that you, you're you an overnight success or that overnight successes are something that just kind of, they, they show up and 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 there's not a lot of work put in behind it. But there's the idea of showing up and, and putting in the fundamental work before you can really become only, you know, because yeah. you have to, I think, and you, you talk a lot about Robert Greene stuff, mastery sure, and all that yeah. stuff, right? So Big fan of his work. What do people need to do? And I mean, I don't want you to give too much away from the book, but what's, yeah. what's one thing that people need to do that they probably don't think about that they need to do in order to kind of set themselves up for the,
1: the process of becoming
0: unmistakable.
1: Okay, so this is a, a very complex question to answer because I'm not a neuroscientist, I'm not a behavioral scientist. I can tell you this from my perspective, but I think it, it also um, you know warrants looking into behavioral science, reading books like mastery, because the subject of mastery, like I said, I mean, many books themselves have been dedicated to just that one thing. And uh, you know, if reading a book were enough to be able to turn you into a master, then every single person who bought Robert greene's book would be unmistakable and masters of their craft, which is not the case, right? So this is a really weird balance because I I was watching something yesterday by this guy named Todd Herman, who's a a performance coach for like Olympic athletes and and billionaires and, and, you know, He's just like he's basically like a badass performance coach, mm-hmm. um, and you know I'm much more interested in people like this now than I am sort of the life coach people because they they have actual you know evidence to back up a lot of the things that they're saying. So he said you know we can't really go for goals that are more than 90 days because our brain is just not wired to do that and it's too long of a timeline. Now the paradox here, okay, is that to become unmistakable longevity plays a very big role. Um, Sam Altman, who is the, the president of Y Combinator, said that if you're building a startup um, – and I think this applies to building anything of significance uh, – that a long-term view is your greatest competitive advantage because so few people have one. And his idea of a long-term view is 10 years. Meaning that you know a lot of people start things thinking, "Hey, it's going to be three to four years, and uh, I'm going to exit this startup and, and you know sit around counting my cash and become a, a venture capitalist." So that it turns out is, is rare, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're looking at outliers, which is is you know a big mistake to to assume that the data shows as outliers. And of course, even in the world that you and I play in, right, the sort of entrepreneurial online space. The people that you read about the most, the people that you hear about the most are outliers because they have stories to tell. And of course, what we do is we say, "Okay, I'm an outlier. Here's the, you know, I'm going to package up how I became an outlier and sell it to you as the how to become an outlier like me formula, which is a lot of businesses. Um, It's something that, you know, I've explicitly like really taken attack on in the book, you know, um, and said, I think we need to start questioning this because if this business model really works, the results are abysmal. They're, They're too, they're too scattered. Of course, you know, you have to take into consideration human beings and personality and, and you know, sort of how people are built in their psychological frameworks, which are whole other subjects and entire books have been written, dedicated to those things. So that being said, um, you mentioned the idea of overnight success. So I will tell you, I started uh, my first blog in 2008. It was a total piece of shit. Nobody read it. Um, I have been screwing around on the Internet since 2008 or since Blogger came out, which was even before 2008 and i was just writing this morning about how you plant the seeds today for who you want to become tomorrow or 10 years from now when i graduated from college i wrote a 63 page single spaced autobiography about my four, my 4 years in college in 8 days because i was bored when i would email my friend i would send her like novel length emails about life about all the things that mattered uh, when i finished when i got fired from my first job i wrote a 25-page expose about working at the most awful startup in Silicon Valley. I was so tempted to submit it to the San Jose Mercury News, but because I had basically uh, called out all the people who work there out of concern for their careers, I didn't do that. For fast-forward to you know business school, w- between the summer of my first and second year, I was the social media intern at Intuit. I started a blog. Uh, I didn't get a job offer. Ironically, people who now work at Intuit have found that blog, contacted me about what it was like to work there. Um, and ended up getting offers, so the reason I'm mentioning all this you you of all people probably will appreciate this you're probably noticing a pattern um, is that every one of those things were seeds that were being planted to get to here i've written at this point well probably over a hundred plus articles on medium so it's to basically what what the the real message is is that it's a substantial body of work that has taken a very, very long time to create and to curate, and I honestly here's what I would say is that there's a big danger to succeeding too fast because a fast rise is often followed by a very fast ball. I could not have written a book that you would want to dog ear the way you have even two years ago because I wasn't ready, right? Like I wasn't mature enough as a writer. I didn't have the habits. I didn't have the discipline. I didn't have the systems in place. Um, and I didn't have the experience. So all of that is to say that, the 10-year overnight success, total cliche, but it's very much there for a reason, because that cliche is validated over and over and over again throughout history.
0: You mentioned systems for a second, and I want yeah. to talk about the idea in the book you talk about best practices. And, yes. and And what I loved about it, because what I love about your writing, what I love about when we talk about this stuff, is that best pra- Like you, the, the the subtitle is, Best Practices, Your Worst Enemy. Now, right. again, at face value, you're like, wait a minute, hold on a second. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about the systems versus goal mindset that Scott Adams talks about, you know, in right. his book. You're not against systems. No, no, not mm-hmm. at all. So what what
1: do you mean by... How best practices can be your
0: own worst enemy uh,
1: on the path to becoming unmistakable. Okay, so there's hundreds of examples um, in the, uh, you know, sort of entrepreneurial ecosystem that we live in. Okay, Mm -hmm. so let's let's actually look at this. So, yeah, I I am absolutely all about systems. You know that I abide by very rigid rules and systems and, and habits. In fact, my next book is all about this.
0: Which is ironic, by the way, considering that this book is about surfing and you you associate <laughs> surfing, with, surfing with freedom. It's like, oh, these guys. No,
1: I mean, yep. and we'll dive into that a little bit more in a second, but continue. Yep. So I'm not saying that habits are a bad thing, right? I think when it comes to creativity, like um, variety may be the spice of life, but when it comes to creative habits, it's the kiss of death. Like I honestly have found that, you know, having a foundational habit mine happens to be a thousand words a day. That is the thing that kind of makes everything else, you know, gel and work together. Now. That being said, um, here's what we do, and this is our natural tendency and this kind of takes us kinda, you know, uh, back to that idea that I was talking about. So if you look at the internet, right, you will see a popular blogger, popular coach, popular whoever, somebody who has done really, really well. Um, and I'm not going to call out any names, but uh, what I will tell you is this. There is a natural temptation to look at what this person has done and attempt to basically replicate. What they've done. I've literally seen people who have the same theme as a popular blogger because they think, okay, if I do exactly what that person did, right, mm-hmm. and create the same business and same systems and same, modu- you know, sort of, uh, system, you know, sort of products, I will get the same result. So what happens in that process is that we begin to confuse modeling somebody and mimicking them and the mimicry takes over. And so what happens is you have a lot of cookie cutter, me too businesses, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the ultimate paradox is the person who signs up to, to work with a life coach and after the end of their life coaching session, they figure out that their calling in life is to become a life coach, right? <laughs> So we call this the echo chamber. And then there's a, there's a really hilarious sketch by Dimitri Martin and John Stewart that I mentioned in the book uh, about this. So I've been seeing this pattern for years, right? Because what happens when you do 700 plus interviews, you start to look at patterns. And more and more, the thing that drew my interest is why is it that certain people are, are distinctive? Like, what is it that enables them to stand out in a sea of noise? Why is it that they're so original and so unique and so um, so compelling? Like, why are we so drawn to their work? And of course, that's where sort of this thesis of unmistakable came from. And you know, I have to credit my friend Mars Dorian, who I, I talk a lot about in the book, because Mars Dorian turned me onto an idea that Fundamentally changed my life, um, really, I should just give him all the money from the book i 'm not going to do that, but <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he told me screening he said here 's the thing that i 've been aiming for with my work. I want people to know that when I create something, you could take one look at it and you could know that the only person who could have done it was me and you know what Mars has absolutely accomplished that doesn 't matter who he does client work for when you see mars dorian 's Images and illustrations and his artwork roll through your Facebook newsfeed, you know, instantly there's only one person who could have created it. Mm hmm. And so, of course, we've taken that and we've somehow translated that into the unmistakable brand because the same thing I think at this point is true of our work. And maybe you can attest to that. But um, I think when something comes from us and it rolls through your news feed, they're like, yeah, there's only one group of people who would have done this.
0: Well, and the interesting thing is, is that a lot of the people that come into my, even in my email inbox, because I get your newsletter and all that, uh, Paul Jarvis is another yep. one. Like there's a lot of people that you see their work, their work mm-hmm. and the, un- and those And we're gonna get to the the, something that I think is definitely associated with this. But you could tell, like the cadence, the Mm -hmm. vibe, every component of it is just so. Again, it's I mean, unmistakable. It's pure. It's them. You know, I mean, exactly. And 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 those are the ones I want to read. Those are the things I want to uh, you know consume because it it's it's again. I'll use the term. It's unmistakable. It's, yeah. it's, you know, there's something compelling about that.
1: So you mentioned the keyword. It's them, right? Yeah. And so what happens is, let's say that you were looking at some wildly popular blog or some somebody else, right? Your instinct is, is you know, oh, well, this person got this result. Um, you know, it, there's a, like this wildly popular coaching program, um, that a lot of people take, like thousands every year, and uh, the result of that often is. A lot of websites that look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So, you, you, you know, like I said, we won't actually mention who it is, but I think you know who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because, like, it spawns a lot of copycats, which drives me crazy because what happens is that in that process, people are denying the very essence of what it would be that allows them to stand out, which is the things that they wouldn't have learned in the program but the things that they would think themselves, you know, this would be cool. I'll give you an example. So I've been toying with this idea. I'm playing around with virtual reality right now, Mm -hmm. um, which is likely going to be a very big part of our book launch because we want to do something very cool and and unusual. Of course, in that process, I had been digging up everything that I could find related to virtual reality. So I came across this TED Talk by this guy named Chris Milk, who just got funded with like $16 million from one of the VC firms to build this company called Within, um, which makes virtual reality films. So Chris incorporated music into one of his TED Talks. And I, you know, I watched it, and like, I like, thought, holy shit, that's, that's really interesting. So the thing is that I can look at that, and I can try to replicate exactly what Chris has done, or I can say, you know what? I'm going to borrow an element of what Chris has done, and I'm going to bring it into my speeches. So I'm thinking, OK, I'm about to go give a talk. I want to experiment. I want to do something that is similar to that, but I'm going to use music that I would choose. I'm going to give the same talk that I would give. And I'm not just going to use what I saw from him. You know, it's kind of like the Austin Kleon approach. You steal like an artist. Borrow from everybody, um, not just one person. And if you start to borrow from everybody, what happens is you start to mix ingredients to create recipes that only you could create. And of course, in that process also are your own instinct and your own intuition, right? So this Mm -hmm. guy had like an orchestra behind him. I'm like, I don't want an orchestra behind me. I have thought, huh, I've always wanted to mix like Live art into my uh, talks, you know, and I thought, well, I can't do it, but I could actually team up with an artist who would be on stage creating something while I'm giving this talk, while there's music going on. I'm like, wow, I could create this total sort of sensory immersive experience and transform what would be a normal keynote. Like, I'm looking back at my keynote at Podcast Movement and I'm thinking, that would have been awesome. Like, that would have taken (laughs) it to a whole other level, you know? And so, stuff like that. Uh, that I think that we don't indulge our own curiosity, we don't indulge our own intuition, and we don't indulge our own instinct nearly enough um, <clears throat> when it comes to creating a work because that's where Unmistakable comes from.
0: Do you think the echo chamber also exists just in outside the entrepreneurial scope in terms of just what we're told, you know, in terms of, like, Chris Gilbo has written about the art of nonconformity, and when we talk about conformity, I think yeah. there's an echo chamber there too where it's like, oh, you yeah. know, the, the, the whole idea of, this is how we're supposed to live. I mean, you
1: you said you experienced that, right? With with going to school and and you know without going- a doubt. So yeah. it's funny, right? So the the there's there's two things we have to be careful of. Yes, absolutely, conformity is an echo chamber. But the ultimate paradox of non-conformity is how many people are conforming to its ideals.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. When does, yeah. I think Gillable just wrote about Chris? Just wrote about the when when is nonconformity no longer nonconformity it,
1: like hey saying i'm going to be location independent you know be a blogger in thailand and write about my lifestyle design journey not nonconformity anymore no Totally. That's very, very mainstream. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and, and, you know, uh, you know like I, I was reading this morning. Um, I'm going through this Walt Disney biography uh, that's like 600 pages long. Uh, and so I'm reading it, you know, little bits at a time. And there's this really interesting sentence that one of the, the co-workers of Walt Disney said about him. He said everything that he wanted to do was about exceeding what was possible within the medium. And. That's that's such a that's such an interesting phrase to me because I'm like, wow, you know, I mean, if you look at what we've done as a podcast, which is sort of our our sort of hub around the spokes is that we've looked at what a podcast could be and we've completely shattered that expectation.
0: Let's talk about the compass and the map. Yeah, because I mean, you know, part of what I do is I talk about the daily map, but I but one of the things that's part of a, a system that I've got. You yes. talk about the greatest work of your life will require a compass and not a map. Mm-hmm. My question is, OK, so you've got this. How important is it that you actually pay attention to? as you're moving along, as opposed to just following the compass. Cause I yep. mean, just like with a map, you go, okay, I need to get from point A to point B. This is where right. I need to be. And you're, you're kind of blinders on. Can the same thing happen with the, with the compass as well? Yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so if you are following your compass, but it's leading you nowhere, you're not making progress and you have no idea where you want to get to, then yeah. So I think you have to, a compass is where that intuition, that instinct, that internal sort of element, that fingerprint, um, that you put on and, and, you know, sort of overlay on your work. That's where that comes from. The compass is where the unmistakable elements come from, right? Like, so you Mm -hmm. look at what we do at unmistakable creative. I don't look at what other podcasters are doing. I never read advice on podcast best practices. I really don't care because that's all really boring to me. Look, look, I'll look at it and say, okay, yeah, let's go optimize this. Um, Will you look at it also to see what what you definitely don't want to do? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, okay, if I I know something will be detrimental, but I rarely read stuff like that because it's not interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, I I really don't think, and and, and the other thing is if you keep reading it like that, you can't help but be influenced by it. So you just end up replicating
0: it. It's like when you're writing a book and you keep reading other books that are, you, it tends to whittle its way into what you're doing. So it's, yeah. you know, you should you should just read read fiction while you're writing a nonfiction book kind of thing. Yeah, yeah,
1: totally. I mean, <laughs> it, it's one of those things where, you know, it, like a map is great. If you, like I, I, I said this in the book, it's great if you want to get to where somebody else has gotten before, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But a compass, that leads you to destinations that are not, explored yet. And what's interesting is that you can use this balance of a compass and a map, a map being, okay, what am I doing day to day? Am I actually making progress Right. Uh, to get you know, to the place that I want to go? Or am I not? You know, and then those are those are really important. I think that, you know, one of the things that we get sort of caught up in in this creative uh, world is creative people hate things that are very linear and analytical. And, and you know, I am learning more and more as I look at people who've accumulated significant amounts of wealth as I look at people who um, perform at levels, they measure, they measure their performance. You know, Fred Wilson, the venture capitalist said that if you look at the habits of most of the successful people, he said himself included, the companies invested in What he found consistently across the board is that they track and measure. And so that's where the sort of balance between a compass and a map comes in. That habit of tracking and measuring is your map. That instinct, that intuition, that piece that you don't look to anybody else for that comes from deep within you, that's your compass.
0: As we get close to wrapping up here, I want to touch on something that I think is really relative in terms of productivity as well as, as creative work and, and what you're talking about in terms of being unmistakable. The balance or the harmony between qualitative results and quantitative yes. results. Because I think a lot of people, and, and speaking to my area of expertise, quantitative is what drives people. How many things did I get done today? It doesn't matter what things. Such as how many did I get to inbox zero? How many boxes did I check off? At what point... Because you mentioned this near the end of the book, the Gaiman quote, right? Like Mm -hmm. near near the tail end uh, where, you know, he says, you know, um, the idea, the things he did, he was excited and wanted to see them exist in reality. They've never let him down. The time that he spent on them is kind of what really is the thing he looks at. At what point do you need to kind of look at qualitative and give it equal, if not more, um, focus or credence than (laughs) quantitative? Because it's got to be there somewhere.
1: I, I think the sooner that you can uh, look at qualitative uh, components, the faster you will get to where you want to go. And it's such an odd paradox. Mm-hmm. Um, because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make logical sense. You know, you, you see this over and over and over again. Like Stephen Pressfield talks about this. You know, and like I don't think these people are completely void of paying attention to the quantitative. They wouldn't be able to do what they did.
0: No, uh, you're not. I mean, you say a thousand words. That's quantitative. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and that there's a streak there. There's some, qua- but it's it's not. It's about there's so much more to it than that. I think people get. They get caught up because it's yeah. easy to because it's easy to understand and easy, it's to- easy to
1: understand. It's easy to quantify. It's easy to say, guess what? I did you know, this today. I checked 100 emails. I got to inbox zero. Seth, Seth Godin talks about this. You mm-hmm. know, he says, OK, so you've tweeted 50 times. You've updated your Facebook status. You've sent 20 emails. But he's always, you know, I think the funniest thing he always says, he's like, yeah, but you didn't do anything that matters. You didn't mm-hmm. do anything that might not work. You didn't do anything that could affect somebody emotionally. You know, like how many people's lives have been changed because you sent emails? Or how many people's lives have been changed because of your Facebook status update? You know, it's and so I think the, the qualitative aspect is tremendously important. I think it, it's you're holding these two things at the same time. I don't think you know you get one without the other. You know, they're not mutually exclusive. I guess is the best way to put it.
0: Or it's just the the amount of weight that you put on them at varying times. At some yeah. point you got it. Yeah. At some point you've got to go. Okay, I've I've spent you know a bunch of time working on this qual this really important thing but mm-hmm. now these other things need to be done so i'm going to check off these boxes like i think a lot of people again it becomes a measure of productivity and right. it becomes a measure of how much you've done not not necessarily the depth the the breadth not the depth yes right exactly
1: <laughs> exactly
0: Sweetie, this has been awesome and i want to thank you so much for taking the time today uh you can get his book unmistakable why only is better than best at uh online at Amazon or you know what go to a bookseller and pick up the paper copy too you can actually go in the I mean the paper version it's you know and it's it's a brisk read it's deep but it's like it's not a it's not a massively it's not dense in terms of page count, but the, the value in it is huge. And like I said, I mean, there are very, I can count on one hand the amount of books on my bookshelf that have as many dog ears as this. So thank you so much for putting this together and thanks for being on the show. Where can people find you online? Um, You can find me at unmistakablecreative.com uh,
1: and if you go to unmistakablecreative.com slash book uh, you'll see some of the cool things we're doing uh, as part of the book launch campaign and by the time they're listening to this, hopefully our virtual reality efforts will be off the ground. Awesome. Thanks again for joining me, Sweeney. Yeah, my pleasure man big
0: thanks to Srini for joining me this week on the show you can get his new book uh, along with all of his other works over at Amazon but again if you want to pick up a, a great read it's not terribly long but it's definitely deep then head out and pick up uh, whether you go pick it up in a brick and mortar store or online on Amazon wherever fine books are sold you will find this fine book unmistakable Uh, thanks to all of you for listening this week thanks to uh, those of you who are supporting me in patreon and listen to this episode anyway even though you get your own exclusive episode that has additional content now if you're not a patreon supporter and you want to get that additional content as well as a whole bunch of other perks, head over to patreon.com slash productivityist and you can learn more about it there. If you'd like to rate and review the show to help people find it and just let me know what you think of it, I'd love you to do that. So please take the time and do that and that will help other people find the show as well. And don't forget to subscribe in the process because we have a lot of great shows coming up each and every week here on the productivity is podcast that's it for this week's episode thanks to john polster my podcast producer for putting the show together and until next time i'm mike vardy reminding you to stop guessing and start going